sometimes people think that I'm more sentimental than I am because I will stick up for something that seems sentimental, but I'm like, trust me, this is gonna work. So I'm sitting here with Mallrat, AKA Grace Shaw, at the Grammy Museum in LA. It's the night after the APRA Global Music Awards. Grace, thank you so much for coming on the One Year Later podcast. Thank you. Especially the day after the awards, the morning after the awards. <laughs> so it's been almost a year since you released your third EP, Driving Music, in September 2019. So let me just hit the listeners with some stats really quick. So last night you won the Breakthrough Artist of the Year APRA Global Music Award. Last year you had your late night TV debut on The Late Late Show with James Corden. Your single Charlie from Driving Music immediately went into Sirius XM's Alt Nation Advanced Placement Rotation here in the US. Paper Magazine named you in their 100 Women Revolutionizing Pop list. Teen Vogue deemed you one of 16 young musicians you need to be listening to in 2019. You sold out your Australian headline tour last year. You had two songs in the Triple J Hottest 100. In 2018, you won the inaugural Best Unpublished Work in the Vander and Young Songwriting Competition. And Post Malone, Azalea Banks and Mark Ronson are fans of yours. <laughs> how does it feel when you have just a few of your successes read back to you like that? That's a, I'm like, how did she find all of that? <laughs> I can't believe that's all in one place. It's very... It, I don't know. It feels distant. It's like... I only really emotionally connect with a few of those things. I will have memories of like a few of those things. Cause you know, when you see an article online, it's like, wow, that's really cool. But it's just an article, you know, but like the stuff like Mark Ronson likes your music, Azalea Banks likes your music. It's like, oh, <laughs> that is really cool to be reminded of that. And that's, I feel like that's when artists that I love like my stuff, that's, the coolest feeling. Yeah, I want to touch on that a little bit later because I know that you are actually a fan of Azalea Banks and you were a fan of her before she became a fan of you. But let's do driving music. Let's do the EP first. Mm -hmm. So tell me about what was happening in your life around the writing and recording of that EP. I'm trying to remember. Most of that was written in Australia and I was living in Melbourne at that point and... It doesn't feel that long ago. It was mostly the beginning of last year and the end of 2018 that I wrote it. I'm trying to remember like specific moments, but I guess the whole thing is kind of, a lot of it is to do with the, the, like being in your friend's car at night. I don't drive, so like it's, it's a big part of my life. Like a lot of those special moments happen in my friends' cars at night time. And I feel like the EP sounds like that because it's definitely it feels like nighttime music rather than in the sky is a bit more mellow and like bright. Yeah. It is one of those EPs that when you say driving music, it's so fascinating to me that you don't drive. But then again, it, you're a passenger. You know, I don't drive myself. I'm often a passenger and I love listening to music while someone drives me around. <laughs> yeah. It's also the best when you get to be the DJ, you know? Yeah. It's like, there's a John Mayer lyric and it's like, you'll be the DJ, I'll be the driver. <laughs> and I feel like the DJ. Yeah. So I want to hear about the decision to record the intro the way that you did because for anyone that hasn't heard it, it starts with beats and you think, okay, cool, this is 
a really great intro. I'm, I'm super into this. And then you just come in with some lyrics and like add the song part to it. And then you start getting really attached to it as a song and you're, it's building. And then as quickly as it comes, it's taken away from you. Why did you do that? <laughs> well, it was originally, it was that, I think that song was one take, but it was originally like eight minutes. It was like, I wrote the piano part and then my friend Muro, who's from Brisbane as well, he did like the drums and chose a few of the sounds. And then I was like, oh, I have a few melodies. Like I'll just, I'll get in the booth and record it. And it went for like, yeah, six or seven or eight minutes of just ideas. And then I was listening back to it few weeks later I'm like mm, I should rewrite the second half because I don't like the second half and then I was like I have this theory that every song called intro is really good <laughs> like they're all perfect like intro by the XX intro by Flume and there's like so many songs called intro that I love so I'm like I've never but I think it was a bad idea calling it intro because so many people like skip it or don't give it the time but I think it's the best song and actually a lot of people have been like why didn't you flesh it out why didn't you finish it it's one of my favorites it's that's the reason why I felt so like I'm I'm, it's building up it's building up I'm so excited what's next I'm starting to sing along at this point yeah and then and then we go into the rest Yeah. yeah thank you for saying that yeah I I just couldn't finish it so I was like I'll just leave that special little minute and 50 seconds as it is and it's so special I don't I can't think of another song that's moved me that way that is in that same format as well that's so different to put on a record. Yeah, Yeah, because I feel like it had to be an abrupt song and it had to finish soon because it's a song about stuff that isn't resolved. Like, you can't... I couldn't resolve the song. Like, there's, like, my favourite lyrics on the EP in it and it's, like, you pick me up, it's innocent, I pick the songs, it's innocent. Oh, no, it's, like... How does it go? It's, like, you pick me up, it's innocent pick the song because it's innocent you drop me off it's innocent and that like sets the tone for the rest of the ep yeah yeah and all about driving music too yeah Mm -hmm. um so charlie that came in at number three in the hottest 100 this year right between flume and tones and i massive and billy eilish topped that list so great company to be in it's such an addictive song and i love that you named it after your family dog but the song's not about your family dog What's it about? It's, I don't, I don't know for sure, but then there's little bits of it where I'm like, oh, I know what that's about, but it's like <laughs> too scary to even talk about. Scary? Yeah. Like, you know, I feel like my songs are often things that I, I'm too scared to say out loud. You know, just about like really close people where you're like, oh, shouldn't feel that way, <laughs> you know? Do you mean emotional feelings that are romantic? Yeah. Definitely. So like, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to make everyone else feel weird. So I'm just going to put it in a song. Yeah. And never tell them. Yeah. Tell them on your deathbed. Yeah. (laughs) Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Tapping out. That's such an awkward teenager thing to do. I can be awkward at times. But yeah, what's it about? It's like the main theme is just like when I look back on it, it's like, I think I was just talking about all these people that I love so much and like loving people when they're not perfect and when they don't love you back (laughs) as much as you love them. That's like that feeling, but it doesn't matter. Like you still love them more than anything anyway. Yeah. Are you still going through the feelings and emotions that you were going through when you were writing the EP? A little bit, but I've like 
tried to separate myself from the situation. So, yeah. So the next EP or album will not be about that, do you think? I think the next, so far, the songs are, some of them are quite staunch. Oh, cool. Which I really am excited about. I was listening to a few of the demos in the car yesterday. I'm like, this is a really different feeling to other things that I've written. It's kind of like, like, boss, almost, some of it. But then there's, like, really sad songs too. But it might, I don't know how the album's going to turn out yet, but it could be, like, a really arrogant album. I love that, and I love this idea of you building your confidence as a songwriter as at the same time that you're building your confidence as a person because you're out of your teenagerhood mm. and into your adulthood so it actually makes sense that the new songs will have this staunch confident nature about them thank you i think i'm just like realizing my power mm. and so that's coming out in the music well you were a teenager growing up in the music industry i remember seeing you at Big Sound, really? you were 17, right? Yeah. That was an incredible show. Do you remember Thank how you. many people were there? It was so shocking. Was there were so many people in that room. Yeah. That's really cool that you were there. Yeah. Do you feel really different from that time? Like, do have you changed so much when you compare 20-year-old? Are you 20 now? 21 now. 21? Oh, amazing. You're, you can drink here <laughs> in LA. Um, when you compare 21-year-old Grace to 17-year-old Grace at Big Sound on stage to playing to a huge crowd, do you feel really different? I don't feel very different. I feel pretty similar. I even feel weird thinking that it was, like, almost four years ago. That doesn't make sense. Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. But I feel more, like, self-assured. Actually, I was pretty self-assured, but I didn't know how to articulate some things when I was 17. Now I kind of know when I know something that I'm... Like, I'm... Yeah, it's almost at the point of arrogance now. It's like I'm very, very sure of myself, I think. I'm definitely very sure of my art. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's that whole idea of you knowing what you like in music and having that intuition and it was always there but now trusting in it and going yes I'm going to pay attention to you I ignored you before because I had self-doubt yeah being a teenager. and I was new to this world and I thought of a world of music and I was like I thought everyone else knew better because they were older and they had experience which you know you'd think they would but they don't like at the end like I just kind of knew everything all along and and there were times when I knew something wasn't right but I was like oh but they're saying this and they know and I put that trust in somebody else and every time it's turned out to be like no I was I should have just followed my gut. What are you thinking of when you say that? I'm thinking of like people that I worked with where I was like oh I shouldn't have trusted them like I knew the team around you the team that you had around you at the very very beginning yeah of course and that's so natural because your their job is to show you that they know what they're doing and they know what's best for you and you're new to the industry and they probably know a billion people within the industry and you only know a few at that point that's a really natural reaction mm. yeah so you've taken part in APRA song hubs before and you've co-written in lots of spaces have you co-written here in LA yet um, one with Grace recently with that other yeah but it's it's not Grace with two A's it's this little girl yeah. well I shouldn't say little girl like she's 18 but yeah. 
yeah, a young woman. A young woman. She doesn't have any music out yet. I've done a few co-writing things, but nothing has come out, so it feels like I haven't. Mm. But it's like something that I really want to do more of. Does that mean that you prefer co-writing or writing solo? For myself, writing solo, but for other people, I, I will work with whoever. Ah, so you would, at this point in your career, you wouldn't do a co-writing session for a song on your next album? No. No, I just can't, like, I can work with other producers or instrumentalists, but whenever there's, like, anyone else, like, trying to give me lyrics, I'm like, I just, like, I feel so rude, but, like, shut up. Like, I just, <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, maybe I have a chip on my shoulder, but I think that my writing is just so personal and so intuitive. Like, I can't explain to them my thought process because it doesn't make much sense. And I can't be like, no, it just, like, it's going to come, like that's just a waste of their time yeah I think it also comes from you touring a lot and you have to perform those songs live so you have to be all in 100% with yeah. every single lyric definitely we played so many shows last year and it was so painful like before driving music came out having to play 45 minute sets and only having 10 songs out and they're the first 10 songs that you've ever made and having to sing them over and over again and it's it's such a long set that you can't cut songs like that sucked especially like yeah that really sucks like my early stuff is good for what it is but I don't want to it doesn't reflect where I'm at so it was really frustrating to get up in front of a room of strangers and like have that be a representation of myself like we played a hundred and five shows last year or something like insane so it was really a relief when I had new material to like be able to swap out older stuff I've never thought about it like that about how yes they're playing old songs but the artist would naturally feel like that's a representation of themselves there so yeah I think of like how Hayley Williams doesn't play Misery Business anymore she just Mm. doesn't identify with that song she's not cool with it and obviously yours is not for the reason that she doesn't play that song but it's about you identifying with those songs and there's so many of your cuts that you just feel so long ago even though it was only what four or five years ago yeah exactly yeah you're very feeling driven when it comes to songwriting I feel and the types of songs that you write do you feel that being so feeling driven hinders the process when you're songwriting or really helps it no but even though songwriting for me is very intuitive and, and like about feelings like the main goal is to bottle up a feeling everything else is just to assist that but I feel like in general I'm I'm very pragmatic and practical and I feel like sometimes people think that I'm more sentimental than I am because I will stick up for something that seems sentimental but I'm like trust me this is gonna work like for example like Charlie I had so much nobody well not nobody but people were making it really difficult for it to come out as a single and I was so frustrated because I was like it's a single like it's the best song I've ever written like what more does it need to be and I was like what about it is not a single they're like there's not enough drums like it's like too it's not the right tempo and like all these really silly things that was so frustrating to me and because I'm so personal in the song I think what they thought was oh, you know, she just wants to, like, share this part of her. But it's like, I don't want to. Like, it's so scary talking about your family in music. Like, I would love to not do that. But I know that it's what connects with people, like the honesty and the details. And 
I nailed it in Charlie and I was like, this is going to really impact the world. It's not me being sentimental. So I feel like even though the main goal is to bottle up an emotion, I'm like quite a practical person. But how amazing now, if you run into that conversation ever again, you can say, let's talk about Charlie. Yeah. Let's talk about house number three on the Hottest 100 and doing amazing things all over the world. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Remember that? Trust me now. It's a bit of ammunition for you. Definitely. Yeah, no, it's like I was saying how I've like become, like I'm worried that I'm arrogant. It's like mostly because of that. I just feel like nobody can tell me what to do anymore, which is like a really cool feeling. But it's also like, oh, <laughs> it's scary thinking that you know best in a way. When you're a songwriter, you have to feel like you know best. You yeah. have to back yourself. You're your own CEO, mm. you know. It's hard to go, if you're super unsure and go the other way, I've seen many artists lose their career entirely because they haven't backed themselves. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And your ties with the US are really deepening. You've relocated here, even though you have a home in Melbourne as well. So you're doing a lot of sessions here, you're writing here. Do you feel like you've found an audience for your music here in the US yet? Because I know that you definitely have one in Australia. Do you feel that groundswell happening here? Yeah, but I think since it started to pick up, I haven't seen it yet because we kind of, the last tour was just as groceries was like starting to get played on radio and then it got played more and now Charlie's getting like played on radio more and more we've done the TV thing all after that last tour. So I feel like next time we tour here, I'll be able to kind of see it. But for me, it's like the the way to gauge that is like how many people are singing along. Mm. So I can't really tell you yet. I like have seen like the radio charts and I've seen like, I see that this percentage of people from America are following me on Instagram, but it's really hard to, that doesn't really mean very much until you see them singing it. Yeah. You've seen the stats, but you want to see the faces. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because, like, numbers can be not really be a full representation of the truth. Mm. Like, it's definitely not at the level it's at in Australia yet, but I think it's going to be. So that's exciting. One Year Later is presented by APRA AMCOS, a key business partner, both locally and globally, to over 100,000 Australian and New Zealand songwriters and publishers. With reps and creative spaces in LA, Nashville and London, APRA AMCOS travels with its members. Whether you've relocated or it's just a flying visit, APRA AMCOS can provide space to members and their teams on a short-term basis in a fantastic location. Go to apraamcos.com.au for more info. So you did this Fader interview and you said, I don't want any of my songs to sound like any of my other songs. I never think about what I want the next EP or album to sound like. Does that mean that you're writing songs around the same time as you're recording them? Yeah, I'm writing them in the studio. That's incredible. That's different for to a lot of artists, especially when they think of studio time and they're like, oh, I've only got this much time. Yeah, I think I've, I'm not that organized. <laughs> That's it's the main thing. Yeah. yeah, at the beginning I was doing that, like I would, because I was working like, I was in grade 12 and I was working like four jobs and trying to like pass. And I was like, definitely like studio time was so precious. So I definitely wrote things before I recorded them at that stage. Now it's a lot more relaxed and I sleep in. <laughs> and I, sometimes I'll like be in bed and I'll call the Uber 
to the studio from bed and then I'll just get up and then like get dressed as the Uber's arriving. Like I'm really not that organized with things like that. Um, so yeah, perhaps time management is the main reason <laughs> why. <laughs> and because you're feeling driven. Yeah. As well. Exactly. Yeah. Tell me about the kind of legacy that you want to leave. What do you hope your songwriting has, what effect do you hope your songwriting has on the world? What do you hope you're best known for, say, 50 years from now? I, um, I feel like the biggest thing for me is when I'm able to put something in words that other people had been feeling but not able to articulate. So that's the biggest thing, like making, making people feel something or connect with someone over my music is like the best. Phoebe, my housemate, one thing that she says that I, I agree with and I try and cultivate as well is just like creating a community and bringing people up with you. So I hope that like this little, this girl Gracie that I was talking about, like I hope that she does really well and that I have helped her at the beginning and then she goes and does her own thing and like that happened because I was looking out for her at the beginning and then yeah and like I'm like all different artists and like when they come visit in LA they have like a couch to crash on and like I feel like community is really important but for my own stuff yeah I'd like just actually connecting with people and making them feel seen a little bit yeah yeah, even the fact that when you got up on stage to accept your award for Breakthrough Songwriter of the Year, you pointed to Sarah Ahrens and Keto, I think. Is that how mm -hmm. I pronounce her name? And you said, yes, Queens. <laughs> yeah. And you used it, you used your platform to honour your peers. Yeah, I love them so much. I'm so excited, especially about all the women making music. And, like, Keto is such a good producer. She's incredible, like... She produced that bank song, Gimme, mm -hmm. and with this guy, BJ Burton, who I also am such a big fan of, like, Keto is really cool, and it's so amazing to see an Australian girl doing that. And, like, there are so few Australian, like, there are so few female producers. It's so crazy. And, like, I almost learned to produce just so that I can be, like, I'm a girl and I'm a really good producer. Like, that's the main motivation. That and being able to articulate what I want with other producers because I didn't know how to load the technical words for everything was and also like when you work with a producer they take half the money so it's like I would rather not do that it's really smart thank you yeah. <laughs> but yeah they're so I just am so proud of all the girls killing it and yeah excited for us all to rock it rock on babes yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you've been in LA for a little while you've you know, so many Australian and New Zealand artists call LA home, but it's not its not this easy move. You don't just get here and you land a whole bunch of shows and a whole bunch of sessions and suddenly you become Sarah Aaron's in a few weeks. It's a hard slog. And what did you think of LA when you first moved here? Did you feel very welcome and invited or did it take you a while to feel like it was home? Does it feel like home now? Mm, it does feel like home now. The first times I visited LA, I was like, this is a weird place, I don't get it. But the more that I came and figured out, like, there are so many different parts of LA and they're all so different to each other. And I feel like once I figured out the areas that I like and the people that have my back and like made some friends, it felt like home. 
just takes a little bit of time. It's not a city that you can get to know in a day. Like, I feel like Brisbane's like that. Like, I'm from Brisbane and it's so small. You get there and you're like, what you see is what you get, you know? But, yeah, LA, there's a lot to find and learn about. I think you're very lucky as well, living with Australians, living with All Day and living with Phoebe Star, having that community right off the bat would have mm. been really, it's quite a luxury. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really special. All right, can we talk about Post Malone, Mark Ronson and Azalea Banks Of course. Now? Yeah, okay. So tell me about Post Malone. What was he like to tour with in Australia? He was really cool. We only did a couple shows together, but it was at such an interesting time. It was when, like, a few of his songs were, like, just being thrashed on the radio everywhere and charting. It was, like, Rockstar was, like, at its peak when we had those shows. And I met him and he was really nice. And he played my favourite songs in, the, in those shows, which he doesn't play anymore. My favourite songs. Did you, did you say that because you told him they were your favourite? No. <laughs> I didn't tell solid. him. That would have been cool. <laughs> but my favourite Post Malone song is called Feeling Whitney. And it's like a, it's like a country sad song. Cool. It's so beautiful. And yeah, last time I, I saw him, he didn't play that one. But he played it when we did our shows together. So watching that was my favourite part of the experience and meeting him he gave me a nice hug and just like how amazing to like tour with somebody when they're just just at that level like what an exciting moment that was really cool and did I hear that you had to kind of act as security in WA? Like you kind of had to tell people to... Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Like it was the hardest show I've ever played because I wasn't big at that point and they were like who is this girl like come they were all really drunk like WA teens and they're like so pissed that I was there and Post Malone wasn't on yet they hated me and they were like some of them were like really rowdy and I had to stop and somebody was like yeah you need to tell everyone to step back because there's like 15 year olds being crushed on the barriers at the front and I was like oh my goodness this is so scary but then we did it and like I can do anything now because I got through that show and the Brisbane one was a really rowdy crowd as well because like he was coming from that underground rap scene and reaching pop at the same time so it was just like a really interesting mix of people and it was so rowdy and like yeah it was really hard. <laughs> you know you've learnt that as well of how to control a crowd you've learnt to probably see when shit's going down in the front row yeah. and you, can, you know what to say and do that and it's I guess it's a little glimpse into your future. Yeah, I guess you're right. And, like, even I learned so much. Last year was really, there were some really hard moments because we were just doing, like, back-to-back support tours. Like, we did uh, with Maggie and then Nash, and then I feel like there was something else that I'm forgetting. But it was, like, it was, it's really hard when no one knows the songs, especially that I didn't have driving music out to perform. So it was, like, really quite, a lot of, like, really pop, dancey songs that were not the right vibe for the crowd like you can't just play them for people the first time and expect them to feel engaged so I had to be really like really thoughtful with my words in between the songs and I learned so much about like communication I guess in in those experiences let's chat about Mark Ronson so you guys are now mates after a tweet is that right? Yeah, that's how it started. <laughs> it was very weird. I was I was in LA and I was hanging out with my friend Alan, who's in Cl- Close Counters, 
and we were just joking around and we were like we were like oh I've never seen Marshmallow and Mark Ronson in the same room they could be the same person and it was like I was like ah. and then I tweeted that and I'm like never seen Mark Ronson and Marshmallow in the same room just like so like that's really rude <laughs> like um and then the next day I woke up and Mark Ronson had retweeted it and followed me and messaged me and he's like I was like first of all you should be blocking me right now like how dare I talk to you like that but he messaged me and he was like hey I've got tickets to your show tonight what time are you on and I was like gobsmacked and I told him and then I saw him in the crowd when I was on stage and then the next day he um, invited my DJ and I to this party that he was throwing and it was like for his, it was kind of like the theme of his new album and Romy from the XX was DJing and Mark was DJing and he introduced me to all these incredible people. He remembered my name, he remembered my DJ's name and I was just like, what a gentleman. Like, I want to be like this man when I grow up. He is so, so cool. I love the way he treats people. And then we've stayed in touch. And it's pretty awesome. I am just, that's probably the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. And you're like, well, we're both producers and stuff now. So yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, producer. I'm a producer. Yeah. <laughs> He's really cool. Oh, amazing. And tell me about the Azalea Banks connection because I know you have been a fan of hers for a while. Yes. I remember when I was like, um, maybe I was 12 or something or 13. And I was at my friend's house for a sleepover. And my dad was about to pick me up and on the TV was 212, but I didn't know what it was. And I was just, had just discovered rap, <laughs> like, because I'd been in this little Brisbane bubble. And I was like, what is this? Like, it was this, you know, Azalea Banks is in a Mickey Mouse jumper and she's like rapping her heart out and it's so cool. And I was like, this is the best song I've ever heard. But I left before the little credit at the end saying who it was and so I spent like a year <laughs> trying to I didn't know how to find the song and then I heard it again I was like this is my favorite song ever and then I just became really obsessed with Azalea Banks and Broke With Expensive Taste was the first album I bought with my own money which is like so weird like that a little like 13 year old girl was like Azalea Banks is my favorite artist but like she meant the world to me and I just loved her energy and like I have such like a rap heart like that's my favorite thing in the whole world and yeah I just became so obsessed with her so like and she kind of in a way like really influenced my first EP if you really listen you can probably hear it but um, and maybe that's where a little bit of this confidence is coming from too yeah because Azalea Banks is really sure of herself she's crazy smart she is I mean I'm sure you've listened to a lot of interviews with her and she knows so much about black history and obviously about present day blackness and I think she's so eloquent when she talks yeah. about political things especially and yeah. people are so quick to dismiss her but she is so switched on and yeah the, and then the other day I woke up and I had all these messages from Azalea Banks fans and I was like oh no what have I done this can't be good and then I opened one and it was like oh Azalea Banks loves your music she was just on a live stream like talking about it playing and I was like no way and then I found the live stream and I like skipped for ages and then I found it and she's like, you know who I've been loving right now? This girl Morat. And then she plays Charlie. And I was like, this is insane. I would never expect my name to come out of her mouth. Like that's the last thing in the world I was I would expect. So 
that was like the coolest thing I didn't like she doesn't like I don't know I just didn't think she would like well I mean like it makes sense like the songs are really good but like I just can't believe she knows who I am that's so crazy to me you know you have a history of thinking things into existence right yeah you know the all day imagining him at the airport with you so you were touring together then toured with him that was the first tour you went on mm-hmm. now you live together have recorded songs together you love Azalea Banks so who's next Kanye Kanye is gonna happen for sure oh yeah and yeah no I have to be really careful about the things that I say and think because I, I'm like a magnet like if I think or say something it will happen mm-hmm. so I have to be very very careful like I can't I can't think anything bad it's like this paranoia of mine. Like, I won't even think mean things about other people. I won't even think them, like, I just, <laughs> yeah. Occasionally they'll slip in and like the negative, like it happens a little bit now, but the, when I was like 15, 16, 17, I didn't think any mean thoughts about anybody for like three years, like genuinely. And it's just so powerful and like, yeah, I just, I'm like a magnet for stuff. So I have to be very careful about what I say. And the mind is such an incredible thing. You can literally, I truly believe that you can create your whole world based on your thoughts. Mm. You know, what I see of this world is probably very different to what you see of this world because we both have different brains and different core ethics and values and things that are important to us. So I absolutely believe that. It's so, so magic, but it's so real as well. Mm. It really, it really does work like that. Does. So you're imagining being in a writing room with Kanye, writing a song for him, or writing a song. I feel like I'm actually going to end up producing for him. So that would be really cool. Putting it out there. Yep. Yeah, love it. So what else do you have planned before the year is out, aside from producing for Kanye West? Well, I've got to finish my album, so that's the main thing right now. And then our tour back in Australia, I'm so so excited about. And all the shows are selling out and hopefully we can keep selling them out and adding more and yeah tour and that they're the main things cool last question what do you hope we're all talking about next year when we talk about more rap oh i hope grammy nominations and i hope um a production for other artists especially rappers I really want to produce for rappers and songs that I've written for other people that have like charted and stuff. Yeah, so I got to just do the work now, but I'm really excited to do all of those things. And you're also ready. You're so ready for all that. Thank you. Amazing. Thank Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Poppy. write or perform songs, you need to connect with APRA AMCOS. The music rights organisation collects songwriting royalties for over 100,000 songwriters and composers. It also supports music creators through networking events, workshops and grants programs. Go to apraamcos.com.au to find out more.